0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another podcast from the Right Club. I'm Laurel Simmons, and I'm joined today as my co-host, Catherine Nelson-Royally. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Laurel. This is an exciting uh, episode today with with Mark Baltazar. He's. I really love the fact that he his multifamily strategy includes the acquisition of underperforming apartment buildings and improving them and repositioning them to be stabilized operating businesses it's fascinating what he has to share in today's episode yeah not only that this is a two-part episode because he had such great information to share so this first part we're talking about what he's doing and where he's doing it and some of the issues that come up with uh, multifamily uh, real estate investing and then in part two which you really do have to listen to We get into more of the whys and wherefores and the mindset and all the rest of it, but yeah, lots of great information. So shall we go to part one of this interview? Absolutely.
1: Welcome to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life. Hey,
0: Mark, welcome to the Red Club podcast. Once again, it's nice to see you, talk to you. It's been a little while. So Mm -hmm. what's going on with the uh, multifamily investing world these days?
1: Yeah, I think we're recording this in August of 2023. Some interest rate hikes (laughs) since the last time we talked. I think we're seeing some volatility in the single family space. Multifamily traditionally is a little more stable. It's probably one of the more stable asset classes in real estate doesn't have the peaks and valleys that other asset classes do, but it has it has flattened out from a value standpoint. I think coming into 2023 and even 2022, we saw some, some significant value increases across the country. And now they're just leveling out like a lot of asset classes. And I think buyer, buyer pricing and seller pricing has started to come, the gap has started to close. And so you're starting to see some kind of reasonable deals out there. And deals, I don't mean getting things super cheap, but I think the good value, good pricing. With that being said, interest rates, I think as everyone knows, has, has gone up. Rents have skyrocketed, right? So I think one of, the, one of the reasons why multifamily has traditionally been that asset class where it does well in recessionary times and does well in strong economic times. It's based on housing and in, in Canada, specifically in Ontario, that's the market that we're in. There's uh, significant need for housing, so it's kept the asset class fairly stable.
0: Yes, of course, because there's still this huge demand for housing, right? In, in this mm-hmm. in the country and in this province, it's just a critical. It's beyond critical, right? Yeah. In, in terms of of the requirement uh, for housing in practical terms, then how do you see that playing out when you go to make offers on, on places? First of all, are they? Is it easy to find um, multifamily? Uh, uh, properties these days, or easier, I guess I should say.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely more deals out there. There's more deals out there. Uh, I think we'll see that the deal pipeline continue to grow for the next little while. I don't know what little while, means, maybe six months, maybe twelve months, as operators get into a period of refinancing and maybe it's time to exit. Rates are higher than what it was maybe five years ago when they first bought it. And now it's time to potentially cash out. Um, And some operators not being able to hold the properties, right, because of interest rates and so needing to cash out or at least liquidate and stop the bleeding potentially. There are deals. Is it hard to find? I think like anything, if you're in the right network, if you have the right connections to begin with, that makes it easier. Multifamily typically gets traded amongst commercial brokers, right? Yes, you can get off-market stuff direct to seller. Probably not as easy as single family, for sure. You can still find deals on the MLS. Actually, you probably see more deals on the MLS than we did 12 to 18 months ago. So yeah, I think the the asking price of sellers has started to come in line with what buyers are willing to pay. And yeah, there are more deals. So I would say it's easier than it was 12 to 18 months ago.
0: When you say multifamily, because that... that <laughs> There's a gamut from two, two units together are considered multifamily, right, family right up to, I don't know, 150, 200, 300, 500, whatever it is in an apartment building. So what do you specialize in and where are you seeing the most movement, I guess, in in terms of the market and in terms of the size of the properties that are moving?
1: Yeah, so our portfolio consists of 12 to 20, 20, 20 units, let's say, some a little bit more than that. That's been our sweet spot. We were buying at the upper range of that now and even be looking at 20 to 30 unit buildings. So commercial multifamily or multifamily, at least the space that I plan is, is com- what it's called commercial. And that's six units or more. That's kind of considered commercial. And, and the difference between co- commercial and let's say residential is how it gets valued, how it gets financed. And that's the big difference. Qualification criteria is less about the operator, although our financials matter, but it's really with the property. What is the, how is the property performing? So how banks and how buyers and sellers value or see or view these types of properties, it's like a business, right? So the more income that it's generating, the more valuable it's going to be, the less income, you know, less valuable it's going to be. And so the name of the game is to grow the bottom line. And that's it's financing and financing mainly our banks look at the asset class as a, as a big determinant to how much they're going to lend on it and what they value it.
0: Where's the, uh, the most activity taking place? I, I would imagine in Ontario, there's, it's all over the place, but are there like hot spots where there's a lot of activity right now? Because of the GTA, is it Hamilton, is it St. Catharines? is it Ottawa, uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Sudbury, I don't know. Kenora. Mm.
1: Yeah. I'm not, not sure how, what deal flow is looking like outside of our market. So we focus on GTA uh, West right? So we have a building in Hamilton, sorry, a few in Hamilton, Mississauga, Hamilton, Barrie, Mississauga, Barrie, Hamilton, Orangeville. And so we're kind of GTA West, I guess a little bit North too, greater Hamilton area. And so I don't, I'm not sure what's happening up North, really far North. I would imagine similar dynamics are happening, just less, there's less properties to deal with up there though. I think you, you do hear a lot about Alberta, as well. I think partly Price Bordeaux is a big driver of that. Landlords, uh, the Residential Tenancy Act, uh, a little different out there. But I think, so we, we do some coaching and we do help people get into their first or continue to scale their building. And one of the questions that we get asked often is what's the best market, right? What's, where's the best market? I, I believe that there's no bad markets really. Um, and it's, it starts with kind of what you need to do as an investor. What are your Goals and if you think about real estate as just a means to an end, what does the real estate asset need to do for you? Is it cash flow? Is it equity? And then how much of those things you need it to do? Then pick a market that fits that. And maybe it's in the U.S. and maybe it's in Canada, Western Canada, Central Canada, Eastern. Who knows? Our strategy works well in Ontario in some of the more premium markets. Right? It does cost a little bit more, but you're paying premium. I believe it's also just more protected right? During economic kind of uncertainty, people rush to these larger cities, right? For jobs, for infrastructure, transit systems, that's where people, immigration, that's where people are coming. Yes, you have people going to smaller towns, but if you're investing in a a town that's reliant upon one or two industries or a few industries, during economic kind of uncertainty, those towns are going to be hit first. So I know a long-winded question to which markets are doing well or not. We tend to focus on kind of some of these markets. But again, I know investors that are doing well uh, and have selected smaller towns because it it suits their, you know, goals. So it starts off with what do you want the real estate has to do for you and then pick your markets.
0: Have you seen any change? It was interesting when you talked about the the communities that may be dependent on one or two industries and, and when the, the economy changes, people tend to go back to the bigger cities. And yet- during the time of COVID, when there was a lot of, what, what would you call it, outward-bound movement from the larger yeah. centers to the smaller centers, yeah. do you see the, the, those centers that I guess were, what, they had the benefit uh, of, of the exodus from the big cities? Do you see any change there? It's, are those places still stable? I know you say you're in the sort of the Western GTA, but there's a lot of communities around there that were affected, right? That Like the ripple effect of the exodus of people going, I can work from home, I can work remotely, I can go here, I can go there.
1: And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
2: Today's podcast is brought to you by LegalSecondSuites.com. Ken Beckendam is an amazing real estate investor. He understands the process of the conversion inside and out. And he has built one of the largest by volume design build firms in the GTA that specializes in legal multifamily conversions anywhere from two to 15 units. And he's been involved in either the designer or the contractor in well over 250 conversion projects, which resulted in over 600 legal dwelling units. That is a lot of legal dwelling units. And Ken and his team at Legal Second Suites, they cover everywhere from Halton, Niagara, Haldeman, Norfolk, Brant, Hamilton, London, Tri-Cities, Barrie, York, and anything in between. He's one of the few firms that can complete the entire process for you from design to construction to property management. So it's truly a one-stop shop. So reach out to Ken at LegalSecondSuites.com. Again, it is LegalSecondSuites.com. And now back to the show.
1: Yes. Um, Again, so our portfolio was not affected by that. Even we have a building in Mississauga, Ontario, which is the closest to Toronto that we have. Our rents, Although we did, we bought that after COVID. We bought that in 2022. So we've had it for a year now. Rents are growing significantly. So pre-COVID, I'm not sure what happened in that building specifically. I guess we we have historical financials, but it's, again, core city, right? Sure, you might've had an exodus because people were able to find cheaper housing, or less expensive housing everywhere else. Sure, some people may not have come back, but I could tell you right now, there's no vacancy in our buildings close to the city. That's, that's not it. People, at least in our properties, have didn't really leave. We've never really been empty. Yeah, not sure. I'm not sure. It's yeah. actually for that reason why we don't go into these other towns, right? Because it's volatility. Now, with volatility, sure, your cap rate could be a little bit higher, right? So your cash on cash may be better, but your equity growth isn't as strong. So you do get a, a better yield because it is high risk. To go into these smaller towns. But yeah, our portfolio was not affected really by COVID in a negative way at all. I think everyone held their breath April 1st, 2020, just to see if everyone was going to pay. We, like, industry-wide, it was about 95%, right? People paying. Our portfolio was hot at the upper end of that.
0: Did you, you've been talking, you, you talked a little bit about rent. I guess the question is: yeah, Ontario, we're, we're restricted by the Ontario or the landlord. Mm-hmm. the board. And, and every year they come up with, you can raise your rent this much. And the buildings that you get, that, that you acquire, do you find that they come with tenants? Can you get them out easily? Do you want to get them out? Sometimes you don't, right? They're really good tenants. Yeah. They carry on time. And like, why do you want to get rid of good tenants? Because they're like gold. Like, How is that working right now in, in terms sure. of rental increases and tenant management and all that?
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. Really good question. So our strategies to back up for context is the value add strategy, right? So we're, we're purposely buying an asset that we believe is not performing as well as it can in that market. And we believe that there's a lift, there's an opportunity to grow the, the income, grow net operating income. And in rental apartments, the majority of that 95% of that income is coming from brands. It's in order to execute and successfully execute on our strategy, we do have to have rental increases. And I would say 12 to 18 months ago, maybe before 24 months ago, you were able to turn over being half the people in that building move out either because we're looking for other places or financial have financial incentives. So you're able to turn over a lot of units. And that was the crux of the strategy today. And I would say today being over the last 12 months, because rents have grown so much, right? The gap between what people are paying today and what the market may be, uh, may, can, can bear has grown. And so it's hard to encourage people to find a new place, right? So the adjustment we've made is, uh, and I know op- there are operators that bank on a significant turnover rate, right? 75 or hundred percent in a certain amount of time. I think that's really risky right now because you don't know if you're going to be able to encourage turnover or then you get into rent evictions, right? And we don't, that's, not a, that's not a place we want to go for a couple of reasons. One, you're putting people out. But also just the PR nightmare around that, And we just don't want to deal with that. What we've done, knowing that turnover has slowed across the industry in let's talk about uh, Ontario due to the of uh, gap in the resident uh, the RTA, the Residential Tenancy Act, we're only looking at buildings that work financially with a much lower turnover rate, like a natural turnover rate. For example, we're just about to acquire a building, and we've. In our pro forma, we're projected to 17 units. We'll, uh, the model works if we turn over eight units or eight units turnover in six years. That's pretty much the natural turnover rate. So what that does, one, it makes our projections fairly conservative. We know that we're, we'll hit that. It also puts less stress on our system to try to really encourage and force turnover. And we can be confident in working with our investors because most of the buildings that we're buying are with investor partners, either through our apartment fund, our peak multifamily apartment fund. Uh, We 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 know that we'll confident that we'll hit our target returns without having to put a ton of stress on the system to fork turnover.
0: So then, how do you? Because you you mentioned income from the properties. Obviously, you need the income from the properties to be able to service the debt and all the rest of it, and keep investors happy. Maintain and it's a business. You've got to make, you got to make a profit at the end of the day. But, and a lot of people talk about forcing the value of the property or even forcing the revenue from a property. But how do you do that? I know that some ways you can do it if you get a tenant out, say in a smaller, maybe like it's a triplex or something, but you can, I don't know, put in pay as you go laundry, right? It's much more difficult to do that in a 12 or 24 or 30 unit apartment if you've got all these different tenants in there with different leases. What do you do? What's your strategy then to be able to increase some revenue streams from properties without, without, you don't want to gouge people. You don't Mm
2: -hmm.
0: like, but you, at the same time, you do have to make a profit. Otherwise the business is not viable.
1: Yeah. So it's being, so we've been uh, more selective in terms of what we're buying. So more deals that we underwrite don't work anymore. So you have to go through more deals to, to make the the financial model work. Also what's happening and the benefit to a a buyer like us is that the prices are coming down or have come down. That starts to normalize. At some point there has to be an equilibrium. So if sellers wanna sell, unless they wanna hold on forever, right? And some will, if they wanna sell, eventually they have to get to a price that the market, that it makes sense for the market, given the current situation. So that's why prices are starting to come down, right? Because I think a good operator, will realize that you can't turn over 75% of the building in first 12 months, right? Now you can get deals like that. Like for example, we're just looking at a deal today where it's 16 units, very good building, something we would buy that will have 100% vacant on possession. That, those are very hard to come by, right? They're like unicorns, but they happen, right? And so you have to be ready to essentially jump on those. And so the adjustment we've made is we're just more selective. Not all deals are gonna work. And we'll wait till the price is right. And the price is, there's more and more deals where the price is starting to make a little bit more sense.
0: I know that you said that you had a fund, like people can invest mm-hmm. uh, with you. Like how, how does that work? What happens?
1: Yes. It's, so basically it's a, it's a mutual fund trust and essentially it allows people to invest in our portfolio of apartment buildings through the Peak Multifamily Trust and they can invest cash, or they can invest registered funds RSPs, you know, Liras, RESPs, TFSA's). Just our ability to now accept investors with those types of funds has really opened the the floodgates, I think, for us, because there are still a lot of people that are looking to put that money to use in a better way than they may have in the past, right? Like maybe mutual funds, maybe not performed as well as people have liked in some categories. I know some. Legacy mutual funds that I had that have locked in for a little while. Those have dropped right over the last little while, because there were industries that took a little bit of a, of a beating over the last little while. And so I think more and more people are starting to learn that they don't have to be handcuffed to these, to these mutual funds or these investments that traditionally were quote unquote locked in because they're in registered accounts. There's more education now and more definitely putting educational content out there that encourages people to at least take a look at their their investments and their registered investments. And if they're not happy with it, there's options for them. They can move it. They can self-direct somewhere else. And so our fund, yeah, our fund has been a beneficiary of that, that closer look at people's investment accounts and wanting more. And, And also people that want to invest in real estate, but maybe just don't know how, don't have the time, don't have the expertise. Uh, in fact, a, a number of our investors are active real estate investors in other sectors, but not multifamily. Want to get exposure to multifamily, so our fund is a is an easy way to at least get them started in that. So yeah, I know it's been great. It's been the, the why we launched it was really to to scale and to provide access to more people with these types of investments.
0: And you, I think you mentioned that you do some coaching with people.
1: Yes, yeah, so we we do so we do some coaching so. A few years ago, we started training people online, live, live online, how to buy apartment buildings. That evolved. In fact, we're about to launch another program October 5th, where it's going to be an eight week intensive. Again, sharing all of our systems and we're active in the business, right? So we're not teaching theory. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we're doing it. There's lots to go around for everybody else. So we do an online kind of group, co- group course, as well as for people that kind of want the more one-on-one. Then, then I do help people one on one. I don't overload my schedule with one on one. I take typically take four or five per year, and and work through again the process and get them to. Some people are buying their first. Some people are just scaling, maybe buying the third or fourth building with okay.
0: Okay, I have to ask what's the what's the one question you get asked the most from people who are just starting out in multifamily investing?
1: What's the best market? <laughs> okay. What's the best market? And so, our basically step one for me, and this is one on one, as well as if it's a group coaching session, is your why, your why. What are your goals financially, irrespective of real estate? Let me think about real estate first. That's number one. And then it's figuring out okay, what will apartment buildings do for you in that regard? What does it need to do for you? And try to ignore everything you've learned about apartment buildings and what it can or should or whatever do. You can buy an apartment building anywhere to fit your needs. That's why I think there's no bad markets, right? Every market is doing, can do something for someone. And so I spend time with that first because market selection will come from that. The, the type of multifamily strategy, whether it's value-add development or, or buying something turnkey will come out of that. The size of building will come out of that. So everything stems from that first step. Uh, but the most common question is, what is the best market?
0: And then I would imagine it's, you probably get, well, can I do it all myself? (laughs) I would think.
2: and check out their website butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or zanzini at butlermortgages.com and let's go to the lightning round
1: yeah i think partly why people come to us in the first place is to is to learn how, how to do it do it themselves uh, but i think they quickly understand that it's, we don't do it ourselves we have you know a team we have we also have a network we have people we reach out to right? We have people that we collaborate with that are much larger than us and have been through the bumps and bruises that we may be going through. So we ask them. So I think part of it is one of the actually the core modules and what we teach is building your power circle um, of people around you and specifically who are those people that you need on your team. And yes, lawyer, accountant, Appraiser, all those people, but there's other people that also should be on your side to help you because never, it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Of course, we have 100% of the population do it, investing in real estate in some way, which we know that's definitely not the case. It's very low. And so we spend a lot of time figuring out who they need, but also not just the who, but the type of person. So I spent one of the things I've introduced recently is it's called the Vedic test and some personality profiling to understand what's the the profile of the person that I'm working with. And that and then that helps them find certain people match best with them on their team. And it could be the type of lawyer, right? And there's lots of lawyers, but each one has a different personality. So finding finding the right personality fit across all of the, the spectrum of people they need to work with.
0: Actually, I I'm really impressed by that because I know that it really does matter who yeah. you like who you work with not just who but like you say the, there's got to be a fit because you don't have the like the best sort of the best credentialed person in the world but if they don't match or or I shouldn't say match compliment is probably the best word yes. right
2: exactly.
0: Compliment your style yeah because this the last thing you want is someone who does things exactly like you do because you don't want a clone of yourself because that doesn't hurt you.
1: Yeah. Like that saying, like the saying is uh, all great minds think alike. These have heard that. that. So I don't think that's true. It's all great minds think differently. Because if everyone thought alike, then we'd be in this really boring place. But it's the great minds. If you get people that think differently, even my business partner, right? Like my business partner, Mike, we have some really good, healthy debates and we don't agree on everything. And if we did, I think we'd be where we are today. Now macro vision, we are, we're on the same boat, we're going in the same direction. We have different thoughts, we have different perspectives. We have really good debates. I think when you find uh, in building a partnership, again, whether it's like a third-party vendor that you're working with and again, lawyer, contractor, accountant, whatever, or a business partner, I think it's important to, and this might take some time to assess, right? It's important to not work with someone that's just going to you're just going to agree with each other all the time. I, I don't think you're, you're going to get into situations where you have to be. You, you, there will be disagreements. You're going to want to see things differently. You're going to have to engage in in good, respectful debate, and that's super important because no growth will come without it. And that's that's a, That's the it's the soft side, I think, of team building.
0: Maybe the soft side, but it's a really important side because yes, you, you do. I think out of that debate, out of a difference of opinion comes solutions and ideas that nobody would have thought of in the first place if yeah. you didn't have that debate. And yeah. But yeah. you have to have someone that you can actually trust and and be able to bounce those ideas around with, yeah. whether it's your lawyer or accountant or yeah.
1: you know, whatever,
0: whoever it is, right? Yeah. Even your contractor, your electrician, for heaven's sakes, it really doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah if you... If, if you disagree or you know, respectfully dis- disagree with any of those people and they take offense to it or take things personally, right? Taking things personally really puts up a big barrier, right? You can't really grow or innovate. You can't really push beyond boundaries of what people think take things personally. So that would be one of the first things I look for is people take things personally. And if they don't, that's good. That's amazing. That's a big kind of piece. Because people that don't think take things personally also hold themselves a little more accountable. Don't always put the blame on others. Look at them first. And that's super important. And and I'm kind of, you know, I had another company before. I was a partner in another business. And so I've been able to see the way different teams work and the best teams were the ones that were just, it was not about taking things personally. It was about just figuring out the problem, sort the problem, regardless of who came up with the solution and whoever made the mistake. Mistakes were fine. mistakes were good as long as you learn from them. So all all these kind of these cliches, but they're true, like in real life, they actually, they were, not only they work, they're critical. Stuff, or else the partnership falls apart or like the team falls apart.
0: Mark, you've mentioned about the team and the importance, of course, is it? But what about the mindset of a multifamily
1: investor? Yes, yeah, so yeah my, mindset. might super important, of course. I think there's a lot of talk about mindset. And I like learning about mindset reading about mindset. One of the things that, I found with, again, just looking at social media and seeing kind of what people are saying about mindset, I found that there's a, a gap. There's yes, mindset, mindset's important, but what is it about mind? What do I do to develop it? So I actually recently gave a talk about mindset and why mindset's important and the four things that stop people from moving forward. Because that's really important to the importance of mindset, right? And they say, why, why is mindset, what's really important because something up here is, Blocking you from moving ahead in some way. It's okay. That's good. So if you prove that, then cool. We're on the same page. But what is it that like? What, how do you unlock that? But you can strengthen your mindset. What do you got to strengthen? So I did some my background is research, but I'm was, was a researcher by training at a school, and then spent almost 20 years in a company doing research and, and trying to understand the psychology of people how people buy. Right. So shopper psychology. That was the business I was in before real estate. So. The, my, the mind and people, decision-making psychology has always been super fascinating uh, to me. And so I did a little bit of research on my own over the last six months or so in terms of mindset. All right. So.
0: Mark, it's been wonderful. Thank you. How do people rate you? What's the best way for people to reach you?
1: Yeah. Email yeah. mark at peakmultifamily.ca. I'm very active on social media. So at mark underscore baltazar. website at peakmultifamily.ca. Any of those, you'll be okay. able to what we're doing.
0: That's great. Thank you. And it was great having you on. It's, it's always fun to chat with you and uh, hear what's going on. And it sounds like your life is quite busy
1: these days. Busy. It's busy. <laughs> That's busy. It's good, though. It's good.
0: All right. Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks for
1: having me. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate okay. it. Thank you.
0: Bye. Thank you. Hey, Catherine. He, uh, Mark really knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? He's got so much experience and it's just so easy to talk to about multifamily investing stuff. It's just really cool. It, it really was. And he shared his strategies with us. That's what I really liked, his strategies and how he was doing it and what to look for and moving forward and especially in the markets that we're in today. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. And as we said, just in our intro, part two of this episode, we really get into the mindset as we start talking about some of the financing issues. Really worth listening to. You'll learn a lot. But for now, we're going to say goodbye. Don't forget to go to therightclub.com and check out all the massive amounts of information and, and knowledge we have waiting for you. And go on out there and customize your life. Bye for now.